was going to share with you uh, as we get going, and this is kind of one of those things, there'll be a, a point in it, in this joke, that uh, men, you just need to accept it. I'm just going to leave it there, and here it comes. One afternoon, Marcel was coming down the through the woods, and uh, he was met by Eugene on the levee, waving his arms and yelling, saying to him, you know, Marcel, Marcel, as he approached. And uh, Marcel shouted, you know, you know, what is it? He says, look, somebody's in the hospital, and it's emergency, and uh, you got to get down to the hospital. And uh, Marcel jumped in his truck, drove like crazy, and at the hospital he found out that a relative had received a severe head injury and was in a car wreck. The relative was in surgery, and um, Marcel began to pace back and forth. And after a while, the surgeon came out and spoke to Marcel. And he said, Marcel, I've got uh, good news and bad news. And Marcel said, well, give me the good news first, or the bad news first. And he said, uh, well, Marcel, the bad news is that we have to do a, a brain transplant on your friend on your relative. We've done it before, and we're pretty good at it. We've got two brains available, the surgeon said. So this ain't dangerous, Marcel said. He said, no, no, we've got a 99% success rate with the operation, the surgeon said, but you do have to make a decision. What's that? He said, you have to decide which brain to use, the surgeon said. We have a man's brain for 50000 and we have a woman's brain for $200. <laughs> Which should we put in? Now, right now, the women are mad at me. Just chill out a little bit, all right? <laughs> Marcel was shocked. He had never been called on to make such a decision before. He considered then and asked, why is the woman's brain so cheap? And the surgeon looks and she says, because hers has been used. The men were thinking, yeah, and all of a sudden it spun on you, didn't it? <laughs> well, listen, uh, we've been in our Relentless series, and we've talked about Relentless Mission, and we have talked about Relentless Faith, and today we're going to talk about the relent Relentless Worship. Uh, a couple scriptures that I'm going to share from is uh, John 4, and then also Daniel, but because I'm going to read the whole chapter of Daniel, I didn't put 30 slides up there, I'm just going to read it to you, and we'll talk about it. Um, so in this message series, one of the things that we're trying to establish is, is that we don't need to be casual about our pursuit of God. We don't need to be casual in pursuit of our mission in Christ, and we don't need to be casual in the way that we live our life, if you will. If anything, we need to be extravagant in this sense. The way we talk of God, the way we believe in God, the way that we pursue God needs to be something that makes its mark in this earth. You know, even in the midst of worship today, as I was expressing, we're in this world, we're not of it. And we need to, uh, if you will, display the works of God, display the love that we have for God in such a way that people take note of that. If you will, they're impressed by it. When you think of it, the Bible says that the mystery of the church is Christ in you, say Christ in me, Christ in me. the hope of glory. The mystery of the church, it's like, what is this church thing? What is the church all about? The mystery of the church is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that word glory being doxa, that, that it's the same, and you've heard me teach this before, you've heard Ferris Cox teach this, that you take, like the kings would have a signet ring, and they would melt wax onto it, and if they're sending a message out, they would melt wax onto the, the, the portion to seal it, and what they would do is press that ring onto the wax and seal that letter to be opened only by the person that they were sending it to. And if that seal was broken, the person carrying the letter was what? Dead. But it was the weighty presence. It was the, if you will, the presence of that ring. It, it puts its presence. It puts its impression on it. And then when they see it, it's like, this is from the king. When people see you, the impression that God makes on you by his glory should be revealed to others in such a manner that they're impressed by it. They see it and they say they belong to Jesus because you have been pressed by his image. 
And the Bible declares that we are being changed and transformed into the very likeness and image of Christ. That you and I are being changed by God's work, by his word and by his spirit. We are being changed into the likeness and image of Christ. We're not Christ, but Christ lives in us and we're being changed to be more like him. Now here's what happens. He was put on display to hang on a cross for all to see to redeem mankind. We are put on display to all mankind that they might see the work of Christ in us. And that all that he took upon him, the sins of the world, he takes our sin and what does he give us? He takes our death and he gives us life. And that's what we're to display to others. And there's no greater way to do that than worship. Now, how many of you would think, well, worship's kind of like a private thing. That's, that's not for others to see. How many of you would say that that's how we tend to think of it in our society, that, that you know, we're not to go out in, you know, in the streets, if you will. We, we don't go out there worshiping. We come in here to the church and worship. Okay, let me ask this question. How many of you spent some time this week walking down the street, you know, to work, when you're going to work, or out and about, you're in the grocery store, and you're like, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, walking through the aisles of the, of the, of the uh, grocery store. Raise your hand if you did that, and people heard you. <laughs> A few people, ooh, I don't know if they heard me, right? I'm not talking about on your breath, I'm talking about on, I'm talking about relentless worship. Somebody say relentless, relentless. worship. Because here's the deal. Do you think Jesus was private about his worship? I would say that worship has an aspect of privacy and public display. That there are elements that, that are our solitude and our focus on God, but what comes out of that should be on display for others to see. It should be the, the very thing that draws them in. When Jesus calls Lazarus forth from the, from the grave, did he worship before he did that? Did he? Yes, he did. Because worship is not defined by it's just music and singing songs. Worship is coming low, bowing down. We've taught that here before. Some of you may not have heard that before, but it's bringing yourself low. It's seeing God above and me beneath and my need of him to work in my life. That's what worship is. Acknowledging God for who he is, recognizing him for all that he is and understanding that the answers come from him and it's through my submission, my coming under him, my, uh, if you will, bringing myself under his lordship. Because he's high and I'm low and I lift him up, if you will, in my life and in the midst of doing that, what happens is, is that's the point where I'm being changed and transformed into his likeness. Jesus prays and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. He worshiped for all to see. Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Lazarus, come forth. I mean, it wasn't a long time of worship, was it? I would say his private worship affected his public worship. That his, his times with God, being filled with God's presence, and he and God, and only focused on God, no one else around, or, or the feedback of the sound, or that instrument didn't, and they missed a note, and, and that song didn't, or the words didn't come up on the screen right, and, you know, is that what worship is? No. No. And none of that stuff messes with us when we have the private time of worship, our public time of worship becomes relentless. None of that stuff bothers me. It just doesn't bother me. It's like they didn't sing my favorite song. And if they don't sing my favorite song, I can't worship. Come on, you all know what I'm talking about. Like, I don't know how many requests Damon's, Damon's had before. Where's he at? Oh, back in the back. Are you planning on making an exit today? He's just normally up front here. Listen to this. The word in Hebrew is shaha, and it means to prostrate, prostrate oneself. Somebody tell me what prostrate is. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's like we think about kneeling down, right? No, no, it's, it's flat on the ground like this. Prostrate before the Lord. 
And, and what is that? That's basically, it's like, you know, that's as low as I can, I can get. I mean, I could pound my head to try and break through it to get lower, but I, that's as low as I can get to be prostrate before the Lord. And in all honesty, then why do we stand and worship? Why don't we all just, when we come into worship, everybody should just lay flat on the ground. How many of you know the visitors in here right now are getting very nervous? <laughs> it's okay, we're not going to do that. Because the point is, is that you prostrate yourself here. Get your heart to that place where you understand, God, I'm, I'm under you, and, and you're above me, and I bring myself willingly to lift you high in my heart. To lift him high in my heart is to bring myself to that place of recognizing I'm not above, I'm beneath, I'm under him. And when I recognize I'm under him, now I've brought myself under his covering. He covers me and protects me. There's no greater protection in worship. Do you know in all the revivals that's ever been recorded, worship has always been one of the great, the preaching of the word. But understand, worship's not just singing songs. Worship is prayer. It's the, it's the reverence shown to God's word being preached. It's the reverence shown to a time of worship and declaring his greatness. There's a difference between the word praise and the word worship. How many of you have ever heard praise and worship, right? There's a difference. Let me tell you what the difference is. Praise focuses on what God is doing or has done in my life, while worship focusing, focuses on who God is. See, when we praise, it's like, you know, um, we, we declare uh, his goodness in our life and how he's worked and he's done. Uh, what, let the redeemed of the Lord say, that's praise. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Why? It's about us and what God's done for us. When we shift into worship, we begin to, to uh, if you will, exalt him. Uh, even as I was declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's worship. That declares who he is. And in that moment, what takes place is, it, it, what takes place is it's where I'm shifting my focus from what God's done off of me, from me to just God. See, I'm thankful. I, I mean, there's that aspect. Come into his gates, right? You remember the, the pattern of worship? We come into his gates with thanksgiving in our heart. We enter his courts with praise. I'll say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. We're, we're in the midst of praise, right? But then we come to another song that had been written years ago, and it's like, take me past the outer courts. What is that? The courts of praise. Take me past the outer courts. This is the tabernacle that I'm speaking of. Take me past the outer courts into the holy place. That's beyond the veil. Lord, I hunger and thirst for your righteousness. It's only found one place. Take me into the holy of holies. That we shift from being focused on us and what God can do for me and what God has done for me to just simply who he is. And God, I'm here to exalt you and acknowledge you. And I'm not even worried about myself right now anymore. And you know what's amazing about worship? Worship, true, genuine worship, has a way of affecting everything else out there. Because when I come into his holiness, when I come into his presence to that degree, it changes me. It alters my state of being. And when I come back out here, I'm not thinking like I was when I was coming in. Come on, somebody. See, you've been in the presence of the king. Do you know that, that in Ezekiel it talks of how the people would enter the temple by one way and they had to leave by another way? And I'm not going to go and read that scripture. And we've got to get into our scripture for today, but I'm just letting it flow. Is that all right? They, people had to come into the temple by one door and leave by another. They couldn't come in and leave the same way they came in. But the king would come in, he would come in and leave by the same way. And that's a reflection of our Lord and Savior at work in our life. When we come to worship, when we come here and corporately worship, when we enter into our prayer closet, if you will, that private place where we go to God, we enter by one way in his presence and we leave another way. We're changed. We're never the same. We can't, once we've been in his presence, we can't leave the way we were. Be it that there's something that in the midst of that, his holiness confronts your lack thereof. His righteousness confronts your lack thereof. His wholeness 
if you will. You're sick and you enter in and you worship God. His wholeness, the fact that he is not sick, he does not uh, condone sickness, sickness is not of God, and yet you can come into his presence and worship. And that's one of the things that came out of the revivals as well, that when people worshiped and they worshiped without reservation and they pressed in, that you know that people would get healed sitting right where they are, standing right where they were. Just by worshiping God, they started getting healed. Why? Because they're in his presence. And they might have come in sick, but they got to go out healed. Why? Because they've been in the presence of the healer, Jehovah Rapha. Come on now. Once again, we're back at that. That's good preaching. And every once in a while, you could throw at me. That's good preaching, Pastor. You know, throw an amen. Uh, Ferris said in, uh, bam, right? If, you know, like amen, that seems like an ancient word. Bam, that's our new amen. There you go, right? But let the learned in the house say. Amen. Right. And so, so, so in that, what I'm trying to say to you is, is that relentless worship is the only thing that will bring you to that place. Why? Because you'll have plenty of distractions and plenty of reasons not to press in and worship God. Let's take a look at uh, John 4 here because Jesus declares to the woman at the well what true worship looks like. Verse, starting at verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Then the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Here he is right there. She's in the presence of the Messiah, and she doesn't recognize it. Why? Because she's dull. She doesn't get it. If you will, when you look at it, uh, it's not something that can be revealed by flesh and blood, but by the Father which is in heaven, and God is spirit. And so they that approach him must approach him in spirit and in truth. And when we think about spirit and in truth, what are we looking at here? We've got to have the Holy Spirit in our lives guiding us into true worship. I mean, you get, this is why we prepare songs, we sing those songs, they're on the screen, and there's that aspect of, of worship, and it's good, and we need to do that, and those words uh, capture, if you will, the word of God being proclaimed, both praise and worship. But there's a point where we shift, and it's not focused on that screen. How many of you would say that you were impacted stronger by the spontaneous time than you were by the words on the screen? Raise your hand if that would be you. Okay, a lot of you, some of you wasn't. That's fine. But point being is, is when you get to a place of being able to worship without having to have words to read, now you've come to that place of where it's being guided by the Holy Spirit and you'll find that the words of God, even when I spoke holy, 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 he was and is and is to come, did anybody catch that Laurel had caught that word being proclaimed and sang that out in a spontaneous manner. And when that's sung out in that spontaneous manner, what we have captured is what the scriptures speak of the word here in Hebrew is oday. Say oday. It's the oday song of the Lord. What is that? That actually God begins to sing over us. It's what prophecy is. That God, you, you, you discern or you, you hear the Spirit speaking to his church. And this is what he's speaking to the church. And God begins to sing a song over us. And when we catch a hold of that, all of a sudden what's being sang is no longer preparation, but it is prophetic. And when there's a prophetic word that begins to come out over us in worship, what happens is, is it, it will alter our state of being. It will change us. God's presence sets down that way. And when I said that, you know, it's been a long time since I shook. You know, I'm literally, I've got my hands on the pulpit up here. I'm pounding the pulpit. This one won't break. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos. Preachers get to go, ah, right? And it snaps, right? That'd be a bad sermon. I'd probably slice my arm open if I went to town on this one. 
But what it comes down to is, is our state of being. I'm, I've got my hands up here and literally steadying myself, and I'm shaking under the power of God. I want that to happen. It's not, it's like, Pastor, that's kind of weird. I agree. Odd. Very different. But God's presence is so strong that, that my physical body begins to yield over to the Lord. And I'm not talking about flaky, weird stuff. I'm just talking about when the presence of God comes on. Anybody ever hear of the Quakers in church history? Right? Do you know what they did? Do you know how they worshiped God? Here's what they did. Some of you may have seen this on movies. Whoever saw the movie Purgatory, the Western? It's one of my favorite movies. Nobody has ever seen that? Oh, man. Who's seen it? Raise your hand if you've seen Purgatory. Well, you saw it because I gave it to you to watch, I think. Man, have you seen it? That's one of the, I can't, what's the matter with you people? That's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Here's the deal. They, here's the deal. Jesse James, um, it's basically all the, the, you know, like outlaws, Wild Bill, Hickok, you know, all these guys. What happens is, is, you know, they weren't like the best guys, and so they get sent to purgatory. Not that that's a real thing, but, you know, what I'm saying is, is it's a movie, okay? They get sent to, <laughs> they get sent to purgatory, and so they got to pay their dues, if you will. They got to pay for their sins, and then they can go to heaven. Now, just so you know, that's not gospel. That ain't the way it works. You need to, to get it right with Christ. He paid for your sins. Get your life right with him. And guess what? Welcome to heaven. But you need to live for the Lord. So here's the deal. They, they actually would go to church every day. The, the, the town bell would ring on the church. And it would gong. And it was just like, dong. And it had the, almost this eternal, like, ripping through the whole town. And everybody's like, Phew. you know. And so all the people living in that town head off to the church. Well, there's a bunch of outlaws that came into the town. And when they came into the town, you know, that bell rings and they're in the, in the saloon and none of the people in purgatory drink in the saloon. There are people who work in it, but nobody drinks. It's like, what's the matter? They don't drink, they don't cuss, they're not doing, you know. And all of a sudden that, that bell rings and they all start heading to the church, right? And they get in there and they just sit quiet. That's what the Quakers did. The Quakers would just literally go in now, they would read scripture, you know, those things would happen, and then they'd just sit quietly before the Lord. I shared a testimony of how um, when the young people, the, the night the young people, we got quiet before the Lord, and the presence of God just fell. Well, the Quakers, that's how the move of God that hit them, be still and know that I'm God, is one of the things that happened in the Quaker movement. And they would be still before the Lord and just meditate on the scripture that they knew and know that he's God. And all of a sudden, the presence of God would fill the room. And the Quakers were called Quakers for a reason. They would quake, shake under the power of God. So it's not, an, it's not an uncommon thing. We don't see it like the Quakers. That was a movement, if you will. And they'd all just shake under the power of God, sit there and shake. You know, it's like, okay, is there more than that? You know, yes. And if you ever get a chance to study church history, you'll find out there was many signs and wonders. I'm telling you, man, if you walked in that church and saw... 200 people sitting around on benches just, just shaking. You'd be like, I wonder what that's all about. <laughs> wonder, <laughs> right? Signs and wonders. Here's the thing. You know how to inspect whether God's at work within the midst of that? What's the fruit? Does it honor Christ? Do they honor Christ? Do they share Christ? Do they live for Christ? You know? We get, and, and here's the thing. Well, I don't need the signs and wonders. Well, then rip the book of Acts out of your Bible and throw it away. Matter of fact, why don't you go ahead and rip the Gospels out and throw them away? Matter of fact, just go to the Old Testament because there were signs and wonders there too. Rip that out, throw it away. The reality is, is God is a miracle-working God. And when we come into true worship, guess what happens? When we're in his presence, things are going to happen. When you get in his presence, there's going to be signs and wonders in your life. Now, I'll tell you one sign and wonder. One guy, uh, I can't remember, I, he was telling this story and I was listening to it and I'm like, wow, that is crazy. He was worshiping God. He uh, had a financial, um, just basically he's broke, can't pay the bills, ready to file bankruptcy. He just decided, you know what, God, I'm going to worship and pray until you give me the answer. And so he'd worship and pray, and, and he would, you know, he'd eat dinner, and he'd go to work and all that, but he'd just worship and pray. He didn't watch TV, he didn't do anything else. 
you going to worship and pray. And so uh, one day he goes to the mailbox and he has just a random check for the amount of his debt in the mailbox from an anonymous person that God told to send it to him. One guy's over here praying, just wants to be used by God. And God gives him uh, the person to send it to, the address, and he fills all that. And it doesn't sound impossible, but all things are possible with God, aren't they? And that sounds crazy, right? And I remember hearing that story. I'm like, man, that, that is just like, that's nuts. It's just like me standing in a circle, uh, got a couple that we're in a, a prayer group with. This is back in Ohio when we lived there. And you got a young lady that's been praying for her mom because she's hooked up with this guy uh, and, and, and they're dating and, and he's an alcoholic and she's just like, I don't want my mom going down that road. Her first husband's an alcoholic, he beat her. I'm just tired of her going down that same road and da, 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 da. Now here's the deal. I didn't know the story on the front side. I'm standing in a circle and I hear that, that, that Tom is hindering your mother's salvation. Specific word, specific name. And you're standing in a group of about eight people. And you're thinking, Tom, I mean, that's a real roll of the dice, whether somebody, somebody's mom seeing somebody named Tom. You getting me? You know, I'm like, man, I am not saying that. Remember? And what do I do? I say, you know... I just feel like I got a word that Tom's entering your mother's salvation. This girl goes, oh, my gosh, I've been praying for my mother. You know, I'm like, holy moly, you know. She went and told her mom that, and her mom broke it off with Tom. See where I'm coming from. This guy got a specific word. This guy's praying for a miracle. This guy gets a specific word to do this in this guy's life, and he didn't even know the guy. He just got an address and got a name. I'm hoping that, you know, somebody out there is hearing my prayers. <laughs> You're hearing me. I feel your unbelief. I feel the, like, man, no way. Right. And it'll never happen when we don't think it can happen. Be it unto you according to your faith is what Jesus said on how many. Isn't that what we talked about last week? And let me tell you where your faith will rise. Your faith will rise in God's presence. This woman's in the presence of the Messiah. She doesn't even know it. When he tells her who he is, right? Because he's already had the whole, you know, scenario moving forward with her. And, and what does she do? She ends up going to the whole town. and like, Come meet a man that told me all about my life. Jesus was ever in the presence of God. He knew how to worship. He knew how to pray. And because of that, he was always filled with the spirit of God. Matter of fact, the Bible says he was, was filled with the spirit beyond measure. We don't get that. But where we stay in the presence of God, where we worship and where we put ourselves in that place, we get close to God. And when you're close to God, guess what you begin to do? You start to hear his voice. He starts to give you guidance. He starts to tell you which way to go. And get this, it's not going to be all about you. We don't serve a God that, that works to make it all about you. He's all about you. But he doesn't want you to be all about you. He wants you to be about others. What is that? So as you step out to be used, guess what? God will use somebody else in your life. He'll send your miracle through someone else to you. Now, you can go to God. I understand that. You can receive from him. But if you understand, God doesn't want to create selfish children. Who's in here raising their children? It's like, man, I really want to raise a selfish child. Nobody? Get me? God is raising us to care for others. And there is no question that in, in a place of God's presence in worship, what happens is we start to become more like him. Think about it this way. If in God's presence we become more like him, more like his son, changed in the likeness and image of Jesus, and Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve, and you all know I'm rolling back on the first relentless message, is we need to be those who serve. And if we put ourselves in that place of moving to serve others, right, fostering that faith, if you will, uh, investing in the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, getting the word of God in us and then getting into God's presence. So his spirit and his word can agree and we can hear his voice and be guided by him. 
There's a lot of hope in there's a lot of hope in that. I thought I just got electrocuted. <laughs> okay, I want to take you uh, here real quick. Uh, three things that I want to point out to you in the midst of relentless worship. It's even though you have private times with God, your worship is to be on display. People should know that you're a worshiper of God. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? Would you guys agree with that? Okay, if you agree with that, then, then you have a responsibility to exhibit some PDA. Why are you all giggling? PDA. You have a responsibility to exhibit some public display of affection. Right? Here's the thing about exhibiting a public display of affection towards God, where people see that you love God. It's going to impact them, but their response may not be what you want it to be. You walk down through the grocery store singing and praising God. Some people might be like, geez, what in the world? What's your deal? You know, you never know what you might get, right? Watch this. I'll give you these three points, and then we're going to go and look at a story in the Old Testament and bring this all around. PDA, what is your public display of affection where it comes to God in the midst of your worship? See, if you're relentless in your worship and you know how to display that, here's the P that you'll face in your public display of affection, persecution. You'll face some persecution if you start to put your worship out there for all to see that you are a lover of God and you worship God. Not everybody's going to be like, yay. Some people are going to begin to persecute you. Uh, here it goes. Persecution, the act or practice of persecuting on the basis of race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, I disagree, or beliefs that differ from those of, watch this, a persecutor. Somebody that disagrees. They don't think that you should talk about your religion. You shouldn't be out there talking about God or worshiping God or singing to God for other people to hear. Keep it to yourself. How many of you ever heard that? Keep your religion to you. Keep that all, you know, look, you know, there's three things you don't talk about. Money, politics, and religion, right? Why? Because they start fights. Why do they start fights? Anyone? Well, let me, let me show you this. We look for our answers. We look to government. We look to money. Not say we need to look to God. And the other two will align themselves right. Hmm? Well, what happens, we get those spun around. We start hiding worship. We don't, well, we don't anybody know we worship God. But we certainly worship our leaders and, and our money because that's the only thing that's going to answer all my problems. Is if the government would just do this, then all my problems would go away. If I had enough money, all my problems would go away. Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. And the greatest thing that will test your worship, I promise, is always going to be your money. That's why Jesus said it. You can't serve God and money. Why did, you, why did Jesus have to say that? Jesus said that because he knew that if you can take care of yourself, you're not going to want God. But what you've got to understand is everything belongs to God. And that's why he says, bring a tithe into the store. It's like, well, now he just turned worship around to the tithe. Yes, I did. Because what's it come down to? I don't need God. And if you have in your heart, I don't need God, I'm not going to come to him and bring what he has asked for then why do you think you could come and sing a song and I'm giving God what he's asked for? Because this is what he said about the Israelites. He said, these people draw close to me with their lips but are far from me in heart. If you don't trust him and you sing to him, he's not like, you know, like, yay, man, I, I think they, they mean that. He sees that their heart is far and they draw close with their lips thinking they'll, that's religion, not relationship. And religion is really not what we're after in our walk with Christ. Come on, somebody. And here's what I found. Religion won't change people. Religion won't change people. A true relationship with Christ. A worshiper of God. In, in, interacting in our society with other people. A worshiper of God will, will produce worshipers of God. A person who walks it, well, if I keep this rule, this rule, and this rule, and I'll pick and choose then I've done my duty and I'll get into heaven. No, you won't. Only through Christ do we access heaven. And if we're following Christ, guess what? I'm his. I belong to him. And that means anything he's asked for is not off limits. <laughs> if it is off limits, then I'm still mine. 
and I don't acknowledge that I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. It's called the propitiation of sin, the purchase price. Jesus paid the price and purchased us for God's pleasure. If you've got a problem with being saved for God's pleasure, then you're never going to be a worshiper of God. You'll never be open to put it on display because if I'm going to suffer persecution, it's going to cost me, whoa, it's going to what? It's going to cost me something. And if it costs me something, I just don't know if I'm willing to pay the price for this walk of salvation, for this, if you will, relentless worship of God. If I got to pay a price, I'd rather just sing a song than I would to live a life of worship. Come on now. I'm sorry I'm being so hard. I really am because it, it ripped me up reading through it. I'm like, wow, I've got some areas I really need to just, you know, be relentless in my worship of God. The main one is preaching things from the pulpit that challenge us. I'm not trying to make you all feel good all the time. I want you to feel good. I don't want you to like feel bad when you walk out of here, but I definitely want you to feel challenged that, you know what? Jesus gave his life for you. I think he's worthy of giving him all of you, not part of you. Come on now. And so here's the other one. Here's the D in the PDA. Relentless worship in the midst of distraction. There's going to be plenty of distractions that come your way. Distraction is the act of distracting or the condition of being distracted. <laughs> uh, something especially that distracts. I'm going, okay, is there anything that clarifies? Extreme mental or emotional disturbance, obsession. Something that draws you away from is a distraction. A friend saying, please don't sing that around me. I, I, I don't believe in God. Distraction. Well, I, I just can't, I can't uh, make it to church. I've got too many things that I'm doing. I can't worship with the saints. Or I don't have time for devotional time with God. I can't, I, I just, I'm too busy. Distraction. And we've got to deal with those things. Because if we don't, if we're not in his presence, if we don't have those times with him, then we certainly aren't going to put it out on public display. It's non-existent. We're definitely not going to feel confident to talk to others about God if we're not hanging out with God. Come on. It's true. And then the A in PDA is relentless worship in the midst of alternatives or an alternative. And there's a whole lot of alternatives out there, wouldn't you say? There's a lot of other things that you can put your affections and set your affections upon. This is what it is. The choice, this is an alternative, the choice between uh, two possibilities, exclusive possibilities, if you will. A situation presenting such a choice, either on the possibilities, if you will, uh, usage, um, if you will, the problem one of a number of things from which one must be chosen. That's not my words. It's kind of a little bit weird, but that's what's in the dictionary. <laughs> but here's what it comes down to. You can worship this or you can worship this, Right? Anybody ever see that commercial? You can get with this or you can get with that. Come on, dreams it, little boxcar, whatever it is. Y'all know about You can get with this or you can get with that. You can choose this or you can choose that. Now, go with me to Daniel. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Daniel. And this is where we're going to bring it all around. I'm going to read through this passage. Daniel chapter 3. And there was a few guys that had put their worship of God, their public display of affection towards God, if you will, got the attention of some folks. And this is how it goes. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the uh, satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. By the way, that image was an image of himself. It's what all men do. We all tend to form, if it's good for me, then it's worthy of my affection. It's worthy of my time. It's worthy of me taking care of it. We tend to create worship, or uh, if you will, idols of worship in our own image. It's been going on since the Garden of Eden, that you'll be like God. We want to be up 
and not down. What does worship mean? To prostrate oneself. We want to be up and not down, you know? And in doing so, what we do is we set ourselves up for worship rather than keeping God exalted in his rightful place. Uh, he had set up, so the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud to you, uh, excuse me, cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the, the psaltery, and the symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Somebody say persecution. Somebody say distraction. Huh? Somebody say alternative. Mm -hmm. So at the time when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, do you, do you notice music's always been involved in worship? Do you know Lucifer got his booty kicked out of heaven because he exalted himself? Right? He was the one that was over all the worship of heaven. And he said, I'll exalt myself above the throne of God. I will be like the Most High. He wanted worship unto himself. And that's the thing that he sold in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve when he said, you can be like God. That's what he was trying to do. How did it turn out for him? He lost his place. How did it turn out for Adam when he accepted the same lie and exalted himself? He lost his place and, and subjected all mankind to lose the place that God had created mankind to be in. But thank God for the second Adam that came who gave his life to return us back. And why did he come? He came to seek and to save the lost. And what did he declare to the woman at the well? He said that he was looking for what? The true worshipers who worship in truth and in spirit. People who won't bow to the image, no matter what it looks like. Won't bow to the image of self. Won't bow to the image of another. Won't bow to the image of things. But rather will continually focus themselves to be relentless worshipers of God. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Mm-hmm. Come on now, that was good preaching, I think. I don't know what the world happened to me. Something, you know, the Bible says you come, become as another man. <laughs> so, verse 8, therefore at the time certain uh, Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery in a, in a sym in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Somebody say persecution. <laughs> Somebody say distraction. Somebody say an alternative. Mm -hmm. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, so they brought these men before the king. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound, what does he do? He gives them another opportunity. So he persecutes them, right? He's, it's a distraction for, for their service of God. He's, it, it, what is distraction? To confuse. It's like, look, you're going to die if you don't do this. How many of you would be distracted by the possibility of losing your life? Just a little, maybe. A little bit confused, maybe think, oh, dude, I'm going to die. Okay, right now, somebody walks through the back door. We're at that point, mark of the beast time, and they say, renounce Christ or you die. That's what it says the end times will be like. It's going to come at some point. They already do it in other nations. You know that, right? People who confess Christ, I mean, off with your head. You know what I'm saying? You know there are people that say, yeah, no, I don't believe in Christ. I believe in Muhammad because I don't want to lose my head. And then there are people like, hey, man, no matter what, off with their head. Why? Because you're not the fear of the one who can take this life, but the one over the one to come. Right? Come on now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're right there. And the king offers them again the alternative. I mean, here, guys, hey, if you're ready, here it goes. So he says, 
uh, where was I, verse 15? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, you know, that's kind of like got a rhythm to it, right? The flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Good. Good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were relentless worshipers of God, man. Listen to this. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, wait a minute. But if not, say, but if not. What that's saying is, is it doesn't matter what the persecution, it doesn't matter the distraction you offer, it doesn't matter the alternative that you're giving me. Even if God doesn't spare me a death in that burning fiery furnace, here's where it's going, King Nebuchadnezzar. So, so he says, uh, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. Somebody say persecution. Because it's coming. And an expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke a command that they heat the furnace seven times more. Somebody, somebody say distraction. I mean, you know, they're like stoking this fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to have a moment maybe. Just maybe like, wow, it's getting hot. <laughs> I mean, they were human. Come on now. They had their faith. But you know as well as I do, when you're looking at those difficult things in life, it's pretty easy to start, well, maybe God isn't for me, and maybe God can't deliver me from this, so maybe I should start looking to other ways and other things that I could give my affections to, and they'll deliver me from it. No. No. You might get distracted, but you need to keep your heart set on God. You need to be a relentless worshiper like these guys. And he commanded, <laughs> they're stoking that fire, and he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In other words, they're like, they're getting close enough to throw them into the fire. They get up there and it's like, whoosh, the fire consumes them. That's how hot it is. Did you like that? Whoosh, right? <laughs> you know, all you got to know is looking out at Black Forest and watching how that thing would shoot up hundreds of feet into the air all of a sudden, right? When a fire gets close to something that's fuel, it burns. What was at the entrance of the tabernacle? It's called the brazen altar. The brazen altar was where they had fire. They put the sacrifice. When they sacrificed, what happened was, is they burnt the sacrifice. They would burn it. And, and the Bible says that, that when that sacrifice took place, what it is, it's the burning of flesh. What's the thing that contends with us walking in the spirit? What contends with us walking in truth and in spirit, worshiping God in truth and in spirit, it's always going to be our flesh that pulls at us. It's always going to be our flesh like, no, don't raise your hands because, you know, that's weird. No, don't dance. You know, and I've got to be honest. I mean, you know, I don't dance a lot. But, you know, they get to hopping. I'll hop, you know, but the dance. How many, how many, ever, how many know what the Pentecostal can-can is? <laughs> when Angie take me to church sometimes, I'm like, whoa, these people are weird, man. Uh, these people get going, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, that is the most odd thing. But I don't know what it was. I like jumping up and down like a piston, you know. Kind of reminded me of a rock concert, I guess, you know. Come on now. Yeah, the brazen altar set at that entrance of worship. You got you to deal with your flesh. The thing about it is these men, even in the Old Testament, were men of the spirit. Because even their flesh isn't consumed, man. Here's the, here's the thing about it. Their flesh was submitted to God. 
those men who weren't submitted to God and worshipped an image ended up consumed by just getting close. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into it. Look at this. And it says, uh, verse 22, Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. Say astonished. Relentless worship will do that to people. They're like, wow, what is this? I've never sensed God's presence like that. But when there's a people that worship God relentlessly, they are impacted by it. King Nebuchadnezzar was impacted by their worship. He was astonished and rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said uh, to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now wait, he worships false gods. How does he all of a sudden know what the Son of God looks like? Because when the Son of God reveals himself to you, you know. Anybody that's been born again knows the moment that Jesus was revealed to him. It's like, oh my gosh, i got to get to Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. I don't know why. I just know that I've got to have Jesus. You recognize him when you didn't before. It's like the, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. When they're heading there and they're walking with Jesus, Jesus joins himself to him and they're talking about Jesus dying. And it's like, don't, are you the only stranger? You know, Jesus, he was crucified and this is the third day he was supposed to rise from the dead. And he goes, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets prophesied concerning the Messiah. And he expounds over 490 prophecies to them on their, on their walk to Emmaus. And helps them to understand, don't you get it? Here's what the prophets prophesied, and the prophets prophesied this, and they prophesied this, and they get to their house, Jesus makes like he's going to go on. Why? Because he wants you to invite him. He's not going to usurp your free will. He wants you to invite him in to your life. He wants, he wants you to be affectionate. He wants you to have a public display of affection. With him. He doesn't want you to be ashamed of him. The Bible says if you're ashamed of him before men, that if you don't confess him before men, that he won't confess you before his father. He doesn't want us to be ashamed. He doesn't want us, well, I need a private religion, a private relationship with Jesus. It shouldn't be on public display. No, it should be a public display of affection for your Lord and Savior. Come on now. And so he, he makes like he's going to go on. They're like, oh, it's late. Come on in with us. So he comes in, and what does he do? He gets there. They're going to eat, and he takes bread. He blesses the bread. He breaks the bread and he gives it to them. And in that very moment, they're like, oh. why? Because by the order of breaking bread, by communion, if you will, by the order of breaking bread, what the father did to the son was he took the son, he blessed the son, he broke him and he gave him to the world. And by that order, they recognized who he was and their eyes were open to recognize who he was. And they said when he disappeared from their sight, he's like, poof, he's gone. And they're like, whoa, where are you? Did not our hearts burn within us as we walked along and, along and talked? There's got to be that moment where you're in the word of God and the spirit of God so witnesses what you're reading that it burns an image. If you will, you're in the fire of his spirit because here's what they proclaim. Here's what John the Baptist said about him. And they said John the Baptist, if you will, if there was a burning man, John the Baptist was in the wilderness crying out, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's the one that declared that there's one that comes after me whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to unlatch, who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost or Spirit and with fire. But these men are in there and right on display is the Spirit of God. The Son of God is present. These were men who walked by the leading of the Spirit even in that day. They would not bend their knee. And they were baptized in fire. Would you say they were immersed? Because baptism, baptismo is to be immersed. Were they immersed in fire? They were immersed in fire. The other guys kind of got sprinkled with it and burst into flames. They were baptized in it. You know what I'm saying? Listen to as we finish up. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. 
And the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw these men whose bodies the fire had no power. Their hair on their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. And the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, and angel of the Lord, and sent his angel... His servants who trusted in him. Who did what? Trusted in him. Let me tell you, worship takes place when your trust is fully set upon the Lord. True worship only takes place where you're looking to him. And you see him as the source of all in your life. He goes on and he says, um, their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree and any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. These men were relentless worshipers who had no problem with putting on a public display of affection towards their God. And their public display of affection brought them persecution, distraction at some point within the midst of it all, but offered an alternative, they wouldn't take it. They would only bend their knee and worship the one true God. Stand to your feet with me if you would. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you so much that your son is our example to follow. And I thank you, Lord, that your word declares that the gospel is not difficult, the gospel is not complicated, that it is simple. That's what makes it good news. It's simple in this fact. Jesus came and gave his life for us so that we would have life. And not just any life, Father, but an abundant life. I pray today, God, that for each and every one of us, that, Lord, we do inventory. We do an inventory in our personal lives. We do an inventory in our family lives, inventory in our church life. And, God, we would be looking at, at all aspects, anything that would distract us from you, things that would draw our affections, Lord God. I pray in Jesus' name, those things that would draw us away from spending time with you, draw us away from setting our heart upon you, that, Father, those things would begin to go by the wayside. That, Lord, we'd make decisions. Lord, there's nothing wrong with watching TV, but 10 hours of TV, bad deal, because it distracts us from spending the time we need to you. Father, time that we can spend with friends, it's all great. But, Lord, if you're not going with us, if, if you're not in the midst of that, Father, we could spend our whole life pursuing all the fun things and, and hanging out and, Lord, miss what's most important. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would put uh, on a public display of our affection for you. God, we don't have to be weird, but Lord, that we're not going to keep our faith and our love for you private. And Lord, we understand that to proclaim the gospel, the gospel, to fulfill the mission you've given us, to be able to step out in faith and pray for people and see you do amazing things, that God, we've got to be open to worshiping before others. We've got to be open to say, I'm going to pray to God for this situation right in front of people. We've got to be willing, Lord God, to say your word, to speak your word into situations with our work colleagues and our family and our friends so that, Father, they can see the word of God work. God, I pray most of all that we would recognize that, Lord, Worship is not just singing songs. Worship is crying out to you. It's, it's praying to you. Worship is reading your word and proclaiming your word. Worship is an attitude of our hearts. And the Father, I pray that you would get our hearts. I pray, Lord, that not one of us would hold back from you, but we would turn ourselves completely and wholly over to you in every aspect of our life so that our faith is a real faith. So that our walk with you, Lord God, is a real walk, genuine and true, that others can see. Lord, it's the greatest testimony we can have.
that our relationship with you is genuine. And it's not something that's based in some religious structure of keeping rules. It's rather an affection that we have towards you in relationship. That we love you, but Lord, we recognize that we're only capable of loving you because you first loved us. So Father, today we seal all of that in our lives. That we would become greater worshipers than we've ever been. That Lord, today we might have entered one way, but we leave this house another way. We leave your presence, Lord God, in the sense corporately. But we walk out changed to live our lives different than we ever have. We honor you and we love you. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you all. Enjoy your week.